HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Dashable, an app to help you find deals, discounts, and coupons for local businesses in New York City. Hey there, welcome to The Feed Feed, where we sit down with leaders and upstarts of the food media realm to discuss everything from navigating social media, building, engaging with, and growing a community, and producing content that resonates with young and old. I'm Jake Cohen, Editorial Director of The Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source of what to cook, bake, and drink. Today we are joined by food writer, recipe developer, my friend and old colleague, Aaron Hutcherson. Thanks so much for joining us, Aaron. Thanks for having me. So we're going to dive into literally everything because I just love to pick people's brains in terms of the world of food media. Um, But before we dive in, I really want to start at the beginning in terms of how you got into food um, and what were you doing before culinary school? What was culinary school like? And what was like the immediate next step after? Um, sure. So I, let's go back to the beginning, I suppose. Um, <laughs> I was one of those kids that sort of grew up in the kitchen um, with my mother primarily who didn't miss all the cooking. Um, so I've loved food from a young age and I always like loved helping her cook and bake and do everything um, there. But I never really thought of food as a career. Um, In my head, I was like, I'm going to go do something else, make a bunch of money. um, And then maybe when I retire, I can like go to culinary school or like live in France or something like that. (laughs) One of those sort of far off (laughs) dreams. Eat, pray, love moments. Exactly. Um, So I went to college and I ended up moving to New York to work in finance on Wall Street, actually. Um, and I did that for a few years, um, but a few months into it was when I actually first started my blog, um, thehungryhutch.com. Um, and I was mostly started because like I needed something to do in my free time. Um, and I, this was back in 2009 and blogs were sort of just becoming a thing and I was like oh I can do this I can 
create a blog even though I had never done one before um, and that sort of just started to like nurture my interest in food and that grew and grew and then I, I went to um, the French Culinary Institute at first I just took like a recreational cooking class to just sort of dip my toe in the water um, but then after that I decided I wanted to do the full program and so I enrolled in the um, full culinary arts program, graduated, quit my job, and have been working in the food world ever since. And that was May 2012. Incredible. What was the first job uh, in food after culinary school? So I had... Two, actually. Um, I interned at a magazine called Food Arts, which was uh, primarily like more of a restaurant and chef-focused magazine. Uh, I did that during the week um, as like an editorial assistant. And then I also was a line cook on the weekends at a restaurant in Manhattan's East Village that was called Northern Spy Food Company. And how was that like? How is, I always love everyone's first experience, like working the line. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was both great and exhausting. Um, I always tell people that like being a line cook was the hardest I have ever worked in my life. Um, just like being on my feet for I don't know, 50, 60 hours a week. Um, And just the rush of service and hot pans and fire and sharp objects. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was a lot, but part of me really loved the adrenaline and everything, but I was also just like exhausted from it (laughs) after the. Yes, I cannot remember working there. So this kind of brings us pretty much to when we met, no? Uh, there are like a couple years in between. Um, after being a line cook, um, I and like tr- trying to get a full-time job in publishing unsuccessfully. I it was like, I need a break. So I went and worked at a summer camp, actually, in Pennsylvania and like baked cookies and cakes and things for kids um just that sort of sounds like an absolute dream oh my god <laughs> it was kind of fun it was a nice escape from the craziness of new york city and the craziness of being a line cook just to sort of reset um for a summer and then i came back and i hopped around a little bit and worked in some like corporate restaurant groups um and then eventually I like was able to find my way to tasting table, which is where we met. I love it. So you came in um, to tasting table. I mean, I, I always love to preface it. I go like tasting table, RIP, um, <laughs> in the sense of you were our Dynap editor. Tell yes. me a little bit about what the Dynap was, what kind of interest you in this position and what was kind of your role? So the Dine app was a restaurant discovery platform. So it was like a curated list of restaurants that we or other sort of respected industry publications recommended. Um, so it was like better than Yelp in that it wasn't just every 
restaurant in the um, world um, and that you could then also like sort of save which ones you want to go visit to you could see some sort of snapshots of reviews we had like different hit lists and things like that um, and I sort of managed all the content that was in the app like which restaurants were listed and um, did more so a lot of like product testing and things like that so I was yeah I was hired to be on the product team um, at Tasting Table because like I worked in finance and had sort of that more business corporate techie mindset and experience um, which I think sort of gave me a leg up in getting that type of job but I sort of used it as a way to weasel my way into the editorial side as well um, yeah, I mean, and then that was kind of like the ultimate, like you get the ultimate props for that because that's kind of exactly what needs to happen in this industry to have any chances. You just like whatever position it takes to get you in the door, it's what you do with that. And you kind of parlayed the dynap editor role into then eventually being able to write stories and features and develop recipes. Um, what was... What was your mindset in terms of, of fighting for what you wanted? Um, it was somewhat like doing whatever necessary to sort of get to that point. Because coming from more of like a business background, like I thought like, oh, I had the internship at a magazine that should automatically like make me qualified and lead to like a full-time job somewhere but that wasn't the case I learned in the media world um because like working in media had sort of been my goal all along with entering um culinary school so I had to like sort of hop around a bunch um and do I did a couple of other internships at places and like went back and forth to restaurants and cooking um, just because those were the jobs that were more readily available. Um, but yeah, I sort of like did whatever I could to get my foot in the door because like, you know, like everyone wants to work in food media. Um, everyone like wants to work in a test kitchen or like be a writer and editor at what now is only a handful of places that exists and have these positions. So it's very um, competitive industry. And there's also just like a very limited number of actual roles available and like hundreds t more people that want to be in those roles. So I sort of use my skill set to my advantage to sort of work my way into a slightly different position that wasn't exactly what I wanted, but it was at least in the place that I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, and I want to know a little bit about your experience in these internships. This is something that like, I love to chat about and I think is so important, especially on a podcast that gives the behind the scenes of food media in mm -hmm. terms of like, what does this industry look like? Where are the kind of, red flag issues um, and kind of things to be aware of and um, 
that I always like to kind of be super transparent about. And, and a big thing has to do with the internships and this mm-hmm. concept that for so many years, people would have to come in and work crazy hours for no pay or very little pay um, to have even an opportunity to be considered for a role at a publication. Um, and that came with, I mean, it, it came with mental abuse. It came with <laughs> like, so, just like, the physical aspect of, of kind of having to do the 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 bitch work truly it was <laughs> it was that, that that was it and it's kind of that same concept in terms of the hierarchy of line cooks but in the concept of media um, and it's something that's obviously constantly changing especially as we start to have these conversations but I do think it's important to kind of then flag like what were the your experiences that stick with you now for the rest of your career the one i talk about all the time is i literally had to carry groceries across the city and end up getting a hernia from from dragon because i wasn't allowed (laughs) to take a cab i had to physically carry them there wasn't a budget for cabs um so like what did you have any like wild experiences from your, your time doing these internships um Yes. So, uh, the first internship that I mentioned, um, was unpaid and it was full time Monday to Friday, nine to five. Um, and then part of the reason why I started as a line cook on the weekends was to just like get more experience, but also another part of it was just financial. Like I needed a job to make money it's like thankfully i had worked in finance previously and was able to save up some money um but for that those four months i was literally working seven days a week straight without a day off um so i was like literally as exhausted as a person could be and part of me is like, I don't know how I survived. I think it's just because I was young. I was in my like early to mid 20s. So I was, my body was just able to put up with the exhaustion. But yeah, that was, I like got to a point. Also, just like being a line cook, my body just physically wasn't used to that. And so I would start like keeping a bottle of like ibuprofen on my nightstand next to my bed just so I could like easily reach it and take a pill or two to help me ease the pain of having been standing on my feet for hours upon hours. Um, Yeah, I think that was sort of the biggest thing for me is that all my internships were either unpaid or minimum wage, which at the time was what, like eight seventy five an hour. Um, even like at a very big media company that people watch lots of their shows on television. <laughs> um, I'll never yes. forget my first. I'll never forget my first raise, and it was from eight seventy five to ten dollars. They were, they were like, you know, this is a big deal. No one else is getting this. <laughs> and then I, I mean, that's part. Of, it's part of the game. It, it, there's this manipulation tactic, and and again, it's like some of it. It's not like it was my. It was ever my direct manager's fault. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the the hard part in these conversations is especially when you think about these magazines are owned by by these large corporations like. Uh, 
there's only so much people can do. It's even down to like the editor in chief of of this magazine or this publication really only has so much power um, when you have like so many people that are dictating these things. So it becomes this conversation of like when the the structure and format of this company itself doesn't allow for for a system in which your editors can be compensated fairly or that you can be drawing in talent that doesn't have to start at, that can't, uh, doesn't have either a, a backup of savings from a previous job or comes from a family that would help um, or has a supportive partner that they could take either no pay or a huge pay cut. Like it, it just becomes this really interesting conversation in terms of like what, what is next in terms of sourcing talent? Um, mm-hmm. And I do think social is such a huge part of that. Um, so when did you start posting? Like when did you make? Did you make your Instagram hungry the the hungry hatch around the same time as the blog? Did it come later? Um, the Instagram came later because I don't even know if Instagram existed when I first created my blog. I think it was um, twenty eleven, probably twenty eleven. Yeah, so I probably didn't get an Instagram until. 2012 or 2013 or something like that um and back then i also like i don't know with all the new social media platforms i'm always like do i need to do this is it worth it because no one really knows like what's going to stick around what's going to become some big thing um and but eventually like instagram has become sort of like a source of income on its own like yes it's related to my blog and what I do through that but it like I can also or people can also just like make money just on Instagram and it's sort of weird to think about in that way um or sure and it, I mean I think the weirdest part is, is it's like that's a concept that didn't exist when when we graduated college when we even started in this industry that wasn't even a viable um, mm-hmm. concept. But before we get into your Instagram, I do want to chat a bit about, obviously, Tasting Table. It was so great. You did such great work with the Dine app. You got to do, I will never forget your your um, your breakfast pajamas photo <laughs> shoot from, from the column. And, and But that's honestly, it's like we talk about the hustle in terms of, of like get what you want and mm-hmm. you wanted to develop recipes and you made that happen. Um, and I think that was like, I mean, that's exactly how I have approached every job I've had in the sense of like, do whatever they ask of you and then do it so well that when you ask them to, to do the, something you want, they can't say no because you've gotten everything else done. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think it's important because, like, I don't think I was, like, shy about what I wanted. Um, I remember sort of early on, like, having conversations with, like, people on the editorial teams. Like, hey, FYI, I'm interested in writing and I have this blog where I develop recipes. So, like, if there's ever any sort of possibility, let me know. Um, and I'm happy to, like, do that sort of on top of what I'm already doing. So I think that's it's definitely necessary in terms of the hustle and, like, getting yourself out there is just like letting people know what you want to do and what you're interested in. Um, because I think for some, it can be sort of intimidating. It's like, Oh, I'm not there yet. Or like, I'm not ready or, 
um, why would I don't have that experience? But sometimes you just need to put it out there and see what happens. Yeah, I, I mean that, that that's the the best advice that everyone needs to be hearing, especially when they're coming in, no matter where they are. I think there, there was this old school mentality of know your place, mm-hmm. um, and I'll, I'll I mean I've been told it many times. <laughs> I've been oh my god, like some of the com uh, so. Uh, yeah, but go, it goes back to to show of like, no matter what, the most important thing is you just got to keep your eyes on the prize. And mm-hmm. if that's what you want, that's what you got to fight for. So we're going through, you've gotten some experience in terms of recipe development and bylines and this kind of app. Do, I guess the one question I would, I would love to, to know is, do you have any insight in terms of why you think... Um, in, in any downfalls that you saw at TT um, in the sense of its place in food media, not necessarily specific to tasting table in terms of, of how they, of how we like acted or the content we put out, but just what the industry was asking for in the sense of, of, of audiences, like what were they looking for on the internet? Um, that potentially TT didn't have a place in? Hmm. Um, I don't know if there was like any one thing in particular. Because I feel like we put out a lot of good recipes. We put out like good editorial content and features and things like that. Um, I think it's just maybe some places did it better maybe i don't know because i feel like with media in general there's just so much of revenue is based on advertising and i guess with those those companies that are willing to advertise or wanting to advertise in food media i guess they have limited budgets and sometimes we get it sometimes we don't and after enough times of not getting those budgets then it's bye bye yeah I mean I always said I mean I didn't but like because we put out such great content like some of these features I look back on like I'll even look up or like old recipes that I developed and like I'll go to the site and just like the memories of, of how much went into that um into that like incredible editorial machine Mm-hmm. Um, and I always like to kind of position the fact that that was also something that we were based on an email newsletter and our largest audience was Facebook. And to me, I think this ties into the conversation around like social and the importance. And I think as we saw other publications start to really expand on like Instagram and we had like a great Instagram following, but I don't think it was kind of our, our main source of, um, it's not like how we monetized. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always found that that fascinating in terms of, of that conversation of the modern food publication and what is required in order to be successful. And when even putting out great content is not necessarily always enough. Yeah, I think the food, well, the media landscape in general, food media in particular, is like is constantly shifting and evolving um, in terms of what the audience wants and how they want to get it. Uh, 
like Taste and Table started is an email newsletter and then and a couple other places started. I think like Infatuation and Eater also started as email newsletters. Um, and then they moved to websites and then some people did Instagram. Some people did in-person events. Some people did these huge YouTube videos um, and things like that. So it's, I think it, working in media requires the people in, people to be just very nimble um, and you have to be able to sort of hop on, try out all these different platforms and if you're lucky enough to be successful, then that's sort of how you win at the game. Yeah. So post-Tasting Table, um, you went on to work for the Michelin Guide. Tell me a little bit about what your role was there. Uh, yeah, so I was essentially part of a two-person team um, <laughs> that launched the Michelin Guide website. So, of course, everyone knows Michelin for their starred restaurant reviews and such um, but they wanted to sort of go beyond that and do uh, more general editorial content so chef and restaurant profiles and openings and um, even sharing some recipes from restaurants and ingredient stories and things like that so me and my colleague uh, we ran that website and uh did everything from writing to editing to working with freelancers to posting and publishing content. I also like managed some of the social media in terms of sharing it with the world. So <laughs> it was a lot. Um, but we did some pretty good work, I think. But unfortunately, I... earlier this year, <laughs> yet again... <laughs> Uh, they decided to go in a slightly different direction. Um, and so there were layoffs. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that's, I feel like everyone, every person in this industry that you know or respect, any byline that you see and you're like, oh, I love that person's stories or recipes, there is a minimum of one layoff story within <laughs> that career. Always. I mean, because that's just the, the, the nature of, of this industry, especially one that evolves so quickly. Um, I think that you touched upon something that's super, super prevalent, and that is that idea of like the... Um, uh, the, the predator. I mean, that's that was an old... I mean, I, I hate to use his term, but that was an old Jeff term, um, at TT in the sense of finding producer slash editors, someone who can create like old media used to have this like real divide in terms of you had your editors, you had your copy, you had the people that were posting it or publishing it. You had the people that were, everything was divided and all of a sudden it became, no, let's find one person to just do it all. Mm -hmm. Um, what was that like for you? And, I guess what are your what do you see as the pro see as the pros and cons for that kind of setup? Um, the con I'll start there first is that <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to be good at all of those different aspects um, of the sort of publishing cycle. Um, it's hard to find people that are good writers and good editors and good copy editors because all those skills are 
very, I mean, they're of course all related, but they're also very different skill sets. Um, and so, uh, when you try and find someone that can do each of them adequately, you never really have, it's hard so that like each one of those things is great. Because you can't, like, that, I don't know if that person necessarily exists where they're, like, excellent at all of the various steps. Because so there's always going to be places where something might suffer slightly in one area or the other just because there isn't an expert assigned to that sort of step of the process. I mean, I think um, that, that's, that, that's such a everyone wants to imagine i think it also it it glorifies that old school mentality of like do everything work nonstop. but honestly it's no different than any other industry like your background in finance in the sense of of just like pile on as much as we can and let's just have them do everything um because of the fact that that's just what happens Mm -hmm. um so on the flip side i think sort of the good thing for me is that like I got experience doing all of those things. Um, like I'm not an expert <laughs> at all of them by any means, but um, just like the practice of doing them definitely made me better. And I think for anyone sort of in this industry, like experience editing helps you as a writer and experience writing helps you as an editor and so forth and whatnot. So like, I'm definitely grateful that I was sort of forced to do all of that. Um, but I mean, hopefully <laughs> I don't have to do all of that at the same time very soon, yeah. but it was, yeah. it was good experience. Good. All right. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Dashable, an app created to help you find deals, discounts, and coupons for local businesses in New York City. Dashable will help you find the deals worth dashing for in a variety of categories, from food and drink to art, health, and pets. Support local and save money when you download Dashable today. That's D-A-S-H-I-B-L-E. So after you unfortunately got laid off from Michelin, um, we have this beginning of this wonderful freelance career. And this is going to be a, like the perfect like part two to this conversation because of the fact that, that we're talking about your experience in, um, in food media and this industry you wanted to break into and that goal of like being the editor at a publication, which is... A, a an accomplishment that you have um that you have on your resume and i think it, it's one of those things that, that then you get to see the complete other side which is the realm of the freelancer and you have like bylines that food and wine and taste and new york times cooking which is absolutely huge i want to know a little bit about what that experience was for you in terms of a pitching yourself b um i guess 
looking for work, continuing work, managing those relationships. Uh, and then lastly, like monetizing in terms of, of what does that look like in terms of supporting yourself as a freelance recipe developer? Mm-hmm. Um, who it's a lot. <laughs> Where do I begin? Well, I started cultivating relationships with like editors and writers and other people in the industry sort of very long ago, even like when I wasn't doing this full time, I've always been freelancing or doing some writing and recipe development on the side. Um, and I think that particularly within this industry it's so much of who you know yes and networking and things like that in terms of being able to get these bylines and your names in these different publications so um i am very active on twitter which (laughs) is a place where a lot of media people sort of hang out digitally um and you get to know people online and then eventually it's like hey we've interacted you work at xyz (laughs) publication either like they're looking for more freelancers or contributors or maybe even they have a position that's open then that makes it just that much easier for you to sort of reach out and say like put your name in the hat or get contacted by them to Make and did money. you ever did you ever think because I have I mean I talk I've talked about this before in the sense of, of there have been so many times where I've gotten DM'd because of a photo a photo I post on Instagram and that has opened the world for a recipe development or a freelance gig. Um, mm-hmm. Did you ever imagine that a tweet would get you work? <laughs> <laughs> if you had told me this a couple years ago i would have been like you are crazy you're smoking something (laughs) but it's so true like a tweet or even like me as an editor i've seen people like make a twitter thread about some subject it's like huh that's interesting and then i've messaged them like hey do you want to write a story about this and they're like sure so it definitely happens if you think about like the the OG way of that people would pitch, they would be sending these kind of outlines to their arguments. And if you think about it, so much of what social is, is that exact same process of a super um, brief synthesized thought. And if that's a Twitter thread about a specific subject, uh, if that is a photo series on a like, specific technique, like it really is these little kind of, of clips that people can use to kind of represent themselves in their work Mm -hmm. and then also like even if an editor or someone else doesn't reach out to me um sometimes when i'm like thinking of ideas i'll go and like scroll through my own instagram or twitter feed and be like oh i played around with this like this could be a story like let me pitch this idea to this editor and see what they say and that that itself has like led to pieces of writing and recipes and things like that so as you're doing this what does that look like in terms of how much work you actually need to be doing to sustain yourself (laughs) and what does i mean because people don't understand like how little 
writers and recipe developers get paid. I mean, the, the concept of, the, of recipe development is even, I think, worse because it, it like the idea that you're getting paid for a piece of that, but you are paying for your own groceries. So like the costs mm-hmm. are can be so high. Um, what does that look like for you in terms of, of if you are looking at how how many things you have to take on, and then how has that incorporated that concept of sponsored Instagram posts? Uh, well, just speaking pure numbers, like for a magazine or a website, even the biggest of magazines and websites, like at most a freelancer is going to get $200, $250 for a recipe. Yeah. Uh, and that's like just the recipe itself. So you have to like do the research in terms of looking at finding a recipe to start with and then testing and retesting if necessary and um, all your time and effort it's easily a full day sort of at minimum for one recipe Um, and if you're getting eight hours 200 bucks that's what 25 bucks an hour which I mean it's not bad money but it's not great money (laughs) as well yeah 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 (laughs) I think uh, I think the other part of it is like that's also pre-tax because you're true a freelancer and working for yourself and I think people don't understand like that's also a time vampire in itself in terms of managing all that because you are mm-hmm. your your own business um, but how and also like you need to be able to give that attention so it's not like you can just take on I'm going to develop as many recipes as I can, which is wonderful, but it's like, it's that same concept of just cranking out um, content as the person who has to do it all. Eventually, like, quality starts to take a hit from that. Yeah, and also just, like, thinking of, like, I don't, however much you need to survive, like, cobbling together, like, $100 here, $200 there, it, it, it requires a lot of cobbling together to sort of get to the point where you're making a decent living wage. Um, so that's the point where, like, I encourage everyone to learn how to blog and get a following to sort of get the sponsored content work because that pays multiple times more than just the genuine general editorial recipes and writing will do for the same amount of work. Where do you find the balance? So in your head, like, cause I think that's always something that a lot of people try to talk about. Obviously in the old school world, you'll have those that are like, well, I am above sponsored content. I only do editorial. Um, and then obviously things got around to the point where you're like, well, actually, no, 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 I need, I need <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I had ramen for the past, uh, 15 nights and I would really love to upgrade to dollar slice pizza. So I'm going to do a sponsored post. Um, is there, when you're taking work, is there like a balance that you keep in your head uh, or is it pretty much just whatever comes? Um, it changes every day. <laughs> and it's one of those things where I just sort of think about it in my head. Um, because, like, I don't want to do all sponsored work because just something about that doesn't feel right. 
Um, but of course, like I said, sponsored is just better for my bank account and financial health. So I think it's a matter of like what sort of feels right for the individual in terms of balancing editorial with sponsored content. Um, and then also just like the sheer logistics of juggling all these different deadlines and exclusivity contracts and (laughs) deliverables and dates and everything. It's something that I'm currently trying to (laughs) figure my way through how to best make sure like I stay on top of everything and make sure I give everything what I've sort of said I would give to them. Yeah. And I guess, I guess the last kind of part of this is how would you describe then you as a writer, you as a recipe developer, what is that kind of, um, I, I hate to be like, what, what is your voice? What is your, what is your, your shtick? Because um, that's not what it is. But where do you really draw a lot of your creativity and what is kind of like your voice in the food world in terms of the recipes you're developing and the stories you want to write? Um, ooh, that's... So in terms of where I draw creativity and inspiration, uh, well... In the before times, I would say, <laughs> um, I used to just love like walking through the farmer's market and or the grocery store and just sort of seeing what's available and what's in stock. Um, and then just sort of like seeing what's ever out there and listening to what calls out to me and then taking it back to my kitchen. Um, in terms of the recipes, like I try to make things that are um, familiar and approachable, but I either will sort of use the ingredients in a way that you might not have thought of, or I'll um, introduce you to like a slightly new ingredient, or I just like try to make what in my sort of opinion is like a really great version of a certain recipe um yeah i sort of like i don't know i'm in new york city i have a tiny kitchen i don't have room for all of the fancy equipment or even like that much counter space at all really so i like to keep things as simple in the preparation sort of as possible while also like just maximizing the flavor and the end result sort of like high reward for as little effort as possible love it that's exactly how i need to be cooking in my also tiny new york city apartment <laughs> Um, okay, well, th- this is honestly, this has been absolutely perfect in terms of really getting a look in your um, experience, where you're at now. Um, I guess the, the final thing I want to chat about is this current movement um, and the conversation around the importance around diversity in food and where you see the major holes in our industry and kind of like... I guess, just your thoughts in general. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, we sort of touched on this before in that certain people, at least historically, have been able to get these roles in media because it required you to take either like an unpaid or a severely underpaid internship to sort of get your foot in the door and even like not just one but multiple so that up until this point has severely limited the types of people that um, have been able to sort of get their foot in the door in this industry so I think moving forward um, it requires the people in charge to sort of change that i think there's been a lot of work to sort of get rid of these unpaid internships but even like paying people minimum wage there are so many people who are in their like mid to late 20s so they're like full adults that are taking internships or getting are forced to take these entry-level positions but then are offered like thirty thousand dollars a year to live in new york city which is just unreasonable (laughs) so i'm always very candid with the fact that that was that was the first salary i was offered with zero options for negotiation and Mm -hmm. it's it's why i mean you're talking about i had a a 32 year old pregnant woman interning with me like literally like she was eight months pregnant carrying groceries and like this is this is this incredibly broken system that has to change. Um, and I guess the, the other part of that that really is just like so key is, is until we have that, until we can fix that system that allows for diversity of the editors themselves, there's always then going to be kind of issues in terms of the stories being told about global food and who should be telling them. Mm-hmm. And I think sort of, tacking on to that point um if you aren't able to get into these big publications like i think we're reaching a day and age where that isn't necessary like you can start your own thing there's so many people that have started blogs and such um from recipes sure but also just writing about food and telling stories about um different food cultures and things like that on their own that are starting to gain prominence and you can sort of make your mark on the industry in that way without having to go through these sort of historically large and prominent gatekeepers in the industry just do it on your own and then you can have all the freedom and control to sort of tell the stories in the way that you think is best I love that I mean, I think that's the, the most important thing is it, that uh, I, I don't remember, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was actually, it was Deb Perlman uh, from Smitten Kitchen, who after she recorded the podcast with us, we were walking and she was telling me, and it was in the context of a cookbook, but I think the, the, the meaning behind it was so important that I took away of, of like, you have to do it the way you envision it. Like, you just have to do it exactly how you want, because whether it's if it fails then at least it failed in your vision but if it succeeds it's because it was your it was exactly how you saw it had to be and i I think the idea of social as this new way that people can really get across um their voice their aesthetic their um 
way of telling stories and sharing recipes is so incredible because it offers these opportunities to kind of build up a community of people who are obsessed with the way you do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, I think that's why, that's why I just, I'm in love with all things pop culture, zeitgeist, TikTok-y, <laughs> et cetera. I mean, tiktok and Instagram are great, but I also, like, encourage people to start their own websites and blogs that they actually yes. own. Because, like, we've all heard the stories of, like, the Instagram influencer who had hundreds of thousands of followers, and then all of a sudden their account gets deleted or they get gets removed and then it's like oh what are they supposed to do now and then they're screwed so like yes all of this stuff is great but i also think if possible like do something that you have complete control over uh where you like actually own the platform Uh, because at the end of the day these tiktok or instagram or whoever could go out of business and then then what are you going to do and then you, you, yeah, then you cry with the rest of the Viners. Um, <laughs> exactly. We've already lived through this. We've seen. But I think that's, that's a very important point in the sense of the way we interact with social media, the way we interact with food media, whether that be a magazine or a digital publication, will be vastly different in five years. Um, so I, I, I think that's an awesome piece of advice to always have, like, having, like, a blog, having a website where you can have all of your content backed up, linked to, mm-hmm. uh, fleshed out in your way is like, it's your, it's your hard drive. It is your virtual hard drive of everything you produce. Exactly. I love that. Well, that brings us to our lightning round where I'm just going to throw a few questions your way and I would love to know your thoughts. Um, first up is who is killing it on the gram? It doesn't have to be food related, but just someone that you would love to follow on Instagram right now. Um, someone I love to follow right now is Quinn from Butter Be Ready. Oh, um, I love her. She makes some of the most delicious looking food. Um, and she's also just like a fun person that I like want to hang out with in real life and like listen to music and eat and cook together and have a good time. Love it. Love, love, love. Um, given your experience with Michelin as the Dynap editor, and obviously we're talking pre-COVID, but when was the last time you were really floored by a restaurant meal? Ooh, uh, the first meal that comes to mind is, uh, at, uh, Kiko in Chicago. Um, it's sort of the sister restaurant to Oriole. Um, which has two stars, and Kiko just earned one star um, in the most recent edition of the Michelin Guide. But it was like uh, counter seating. I think there were like eight seats, omakase restaurant, and it was some of the best food I have had in a while. And it's like, for me to like think back on specific dishes, there was like a brioche, milk bread with like caramelized sugar and then a scoop of ice cream on it that was so simple but just so delicious and I uh, yes <laughs> I could go on and on but Kiko in Chicago that sounds 
Amazing. Uh, next up would be, what are some of your favorite recipes you've developed? Doesn't have to be like a one, but like it could be like top three. Top three. Um, one of them that I cooked with you recently uh, was my rye chocolate chip cookies. Um, Everyone's which, making them. Yay! I know. I. It's always great to like see people actually making my food out in the world. <laughs> um, those are delicious. Um, I... Not a new recipe, but one that I've seen a lot of people make recently is my coconut cake, um, which is just like super moist and delicious. And it was one of those things where it's like, I love coconut cake. I've seen lots of recipes, but just in terms of like maximizing the coconut, it's like, why don't any of these recipes use coconut milk? So that was sort of my line of thinking. Um just to like use even more coconut to make the most coconutty cake ever. <laughs> um, and then another one that I sort of love and that's perfect for this time of year is um, I did a sort of cinnamon pepper rib rub, um, which has like cinnamon and paprika and black pepper and cayenne and a couple other things um and it's just perfect the perfect spice rub to give you like a little bit of heat some warmth some nuance and it's it's, i think it's like interesting and something different just to take you out of the normal sort of like sugar based rub yeah that's awesome um, what is exciting you in the food space right now? Could be an ingredient, could be a technique, could be a person, could be anything. Um, I am very excited for what, to see what Clancy Miller is doing with her, uh, For the Culture magazine, which is a magazine sort of by and about black women in the food and beverage industry. Um, I believe her first issue was coming out sometime this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And I'm just very excited for all the types of stories and recipes that she'll be able to share and to see what they are. Incredible. And last but not least, I mean, that was such a a, a beautiful answer. And now we're going to go into our game of Fuck, Marry, Kill we play every episode (laughs) uh, to really, really throw things on... On their head. Um, so for you, we pick one. We obviously pick things that are like relevant. Um, and I think we're going to go pretty broad and we're going to do print media, digital media and social media. Oh, um, I'm going to marry digital media, I think, because that's the one that's going to st- stick around the most and be the most consistent to me um let's ooh this one is hard um I'm ooh (laughs) I I love to stump people with this question Uh, it's always the last one and I'm going to say kill social media 
Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's been said. And fuck print media. Yep. Yeah, what? I'm old school, so like I want something tangible at least once in my life. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. It's a it's a it's a good uh good outlook. Um, Aaron, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining me and taking the time. Uh, any last words for everyone? Um, go out there and cook something. And yes. wear a mask. <laughs> and wear a fucking mask. I love it. Um, thank you so much for joining us. And thank all of you for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, you can head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Feed Feed and myself at Jay Cohen and Aaron at The Hungry Hutch. If you have a tip on who the next social media culinary star will be, send us a DM. We will see you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.